Welcome back to Between the Banners, your UNC basketball podcast on the Tar Heel Blog podcast, hosted by TarHillBlog.com on the SBNation.com podcast network. My name is Chad Floyd. I'm going to be joined shortly by Jake Lawrence to talk about the battle for Atlantis, the eight-team tournament taking place in the Bahamas over Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of this week. Today is Wednesday, November 27th, uh, year of our Lord 2019. I had to take a quick pause to figure that out. Game one, Michigan plays Iowa State. Game two, our North Carolina Tar Heels played the University of Alabama. We're not playing football, thank God. Game three, Gonzaga takes on Southern Miss. Game four, Seton Hall in Oregon. Five top 25 teams in this battle for Atlantis Field. Going to be a great weekend of basketball, and I was just trying to save some time by going ahead and dropping that intro. Here's me and Jake to talk about what's going to happen over the next three days. Talk to y'all soon, and go Heels. As promised, I am joined by Jake Lawrence, Jake the man from Arizona. Uh, United States of America. Jake, how are you, my man? Doing great, Chad. Let's do this, talk some basketball, and uh, see what North Carolina has ahead of them the next couple of days. Man, there's nothing better than a good uh, Thanksgiving weekend tournament that actually brings the heat, and uh, we've seen some of that already this week. We saw Virginia take, take down Michigan State in Miami, or in Miami, in Maui. Um, so, you know, what do the uh, preseason basketball tournaments kind of mean to you? Because for, for me, it's kind of the informal start to college basketball season, but then it takes another pause for a month. Yeah, I mean, they have really taken off the last 10 years or so. I mean, there was a time when, what, Alaska and Maui were, like, the only two that really mattered, and now we've got, oh, yeah. you know, now we've got, like, what feels like 75 different tournaments. Um, I like them because you, you kind of get a feel for who's for real and who isn't. Um, in a, in, in a weird sense, but it also gives you some really interesting matchups that you normally don't get. And uh, especially in the ACC now that now that they're going to 20, 20 conference games, uh, it's really good because it gives these it gives the the ACC schools a chance to get some other big name opponents in uh, if they can get in the right tournament. Uh, and I like seeing that. I mean, I think that's good for college basketball. Uh, and we like to see what North Carolina has, especially you know they North Carolina has regularly scheduled pretty well, uh, but now losing two additional games. Uh, they're, you know, these tournaments take on a, a greater meaning to get some quality wins. And absolutely, uh, with uh, five currently ranked teams in the battle for Atlantis, which I, I don't think that one existed five years ago. You know, like you, I, I grew up on Maui and uh, Alaska being the big two. I remember UNC playing a top five uh, UCLA team with Baron Davis and company and Carolina just killing them. Um UNC opens with Alabama on Wednesday night. Uh, we've also got Michigan State playing UCLA in the losers bracket of the Maui Invitational. But um, but let's we're, we're here to talk battle for Atlantis. So Carolina, Alabama. Um, it's been a while since we talked to UNC basketball because we talked about the Notre Dame game coming out of that one and talking about how Cole Anthony had kind of taken over the lead role for the same. So three games later, what have you seen, Jake, from this basketball team that kind of gives you some faith uh, going into this tournament where UNC starts to step up the competition for the first time since November 10th? Uh, my biggest takeaway is that uh, they have they have found ways to win and they have found ways to uh, take over the second half of ball games. Um, and when you're trying to find yourself, I would rather have a team that knows how to get stronger towards the end 
then the team is still trying to figure out how to win at the end of the game. And regardless of the competition, um, I think it's promising that they have an ability or they have a sense of when to step up the urgency. Uh, the, the flip side of that is they're going to run into an opponent at some point that's going to put them in too big of a hole they're not going to be able to dig out of. Uh, but right now, learning how to win and learning how to step on the gas when it matters, uh, I think is something that's probably has not been talked about a whole lot about this team, just because we haven't seen the whole team yet. And have they been able to step on the gas, or is it just the defense that's been stepping up? Because uh, secretly, well, not so secret to you and I, but Garrison Brooks has won all but one of the Defensive Player of the Game awards, and he has been absolutely excellent in the post on defense. Has it been more of uh, the UNC defense kind of taking over games, or is it has it just been UNC just not needing to take over the offensive end yet, or is it a combination of both? I think it's probably a combination of both. I think eventually their defense wears other teams down. And look, this is really weird to say because we're not used to seeing North Carolina lead with defensive efforts this early in the season. That's something we <laughs> usually see no. develop, right? Like they're usually outscoring teams right now, and then you 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 look forward to the to the high-scoring affairs. Um, but when you're talking about the kind of makeup this team has, look, Garrison Brooks is unbelievable on defense. And we, I, mean, I wrote about that a couple weeks ago, and um, you know the defensive awards speak for themselves. Cole Anthony uh, is, is about as good of an on-the-ball defender as you're going to find in most freshmen on-the-ball defender. He still has a ways to go with some of the other schematic things. But then, yeah, I mean, they're, they're also long. Um, you got – uh, you know, you got Leaky Black on the wing. He's long. You got Pierce, who can who can play multiple positions. I and mean, we can go down the list, uh, but they yeah. they are able to really provide a lot of different matchups, and that's what I think is really helping them right now uh, on the defensive end of the floor. And I think eventually it just wears teams down. Um, and then all they need is a quick, you know, a quick start to the second half, an eight zero spurt here, eleven zero spurt there, and it gives them enough breathing room. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if this tournament, uh, if this, if the talent level of these teams are able to make that secondary run that a lot of the other teams so far have not been able to do. Well, and that brings us to a very relevant point. Uh, Roy Williams in his press conference today said that Brandon Robinson was going to be ready to go. He was going to be ready to start the Alabama game. Um, as we, well, as we post this today uh, at 2.30 PM Eastern time against Alabama. So I guess Robinson starts I mean, over Leaky Black and Leaky Black slides, in, slides into the six-man role, but uh, what does that do for the team? Is that a bigger boon to the offense or the defense? The defense, which has been excellent, and I think, you know, you, you can substitute into a great defense, but does Brandon Robinson bring enough offense to really make up a difference where Cole Anthony is the scoring leader at this point? Yeah, that's a really good question and the big unknown. I think when you're looking at it from an offense first, first defense standpoint, my question with Robinson bringing him in is at six four. If he takes over for Leaky Black on the wing, um, and that's what he did, I believe, in the f- exhibition when he went down with the with the sprained ankle, uh, you're giving up a lot of size and length at that at that small forward position. Uh, but you are gaining probably a better scorer uh, and potentially a similar playmaker. I mean, Robinson flashed uh, an assist-to-turnover ratio last year that was impressive in his limited minutes. Uh, he showed an ability to get to the rim. Uh, so you may you may be getting a similar playmaker uh, as you are in Leaky Black, but you're getting a better score. You probably are giving up some on the defensive end. Now, the question is, uh, Christian Keeling has struggled. When does Roy Williams decide to go with Brandon Robinson at the two-guard and bring Keeling off the bench? Uh, and I think if you do that – you're looking at an uptick in offense and defense, 
Um, and that probably is what is best for the team right now. I don't know if yeah. Roy is going to do that or if he thinks that's best for the team going forward. And I would want, I was about to bring that up as my next point, so thank you for uh, the seamless segue. Uh, Leaky Black is probably the best perimeter defender on this team. Brandon Robinson, uh, I mean, despite I mean, he's a three and D guy, right? Can can we agree on that? At this uh, point, yeah, I would say he, he, yeah, he has shown nothing but three and D potential going forward. So anything we get, anything else from him is a bonus. But right now, yeah, yeah. three and D. And I think Leaky and Christian Keeling are similar in that they could potentially be three-level scorers. I think Keeling probably gives you that third level from beyond the art uh, more so than Leaky does at this point. I don't know if the best combination still isn't Christian Keeling and, Le- and Leaky Black. Can you sort me out of that? Uh, I cannot uh, because okay. coming into the year – yeah, I mean, coming into the year, I, I thought the shooting guard was Christian Keeling's to lose because he has yep. the time, he has the minutes, he has the experience. Uh, and I thought that Brandon Robinson would more, most likely come off the bench. So I was surprised to see him start at a three simply because you're giving up so much size. And I go back to what we saw against UVA last year when Cameron Johnson went out. They, they tried Robinson guarding the three, and DeAndre Hunter attacked him like three or four straight trips down the road or straight trips down the floor. And that's when they, that's when they made their comeback and took the lead. So it's hard yeah. for me to see Robinson as, a, as the long-term answer at the three. Um, and I think Keeling has shown the ability to be the better scorer, but I don't know how long it's going to take Keeling to really acclimate. Um, and he has done it in the past. It's clear that he's pressing, but he was an on-the-ball scorer. He's now an off-the-ball scorer, and that takes some time. Uh, and so that's a delicate balance of sending him to the bench now. Does that mess with his confidence, or does that give him the boost and take some of the pressure off? You know, those are questions that we don't know. But I hope that we get those answers in the next three or four days. Well, and uh, given the way Roy Williams likes to play a lot of guys uh, early in these tournaments, I, I think we're going to get a lot of those answers. And, I mean, you've got 120 minutes to distribute over the course of the next three days. Um, Justin Pierce has been the most pleasant surprise on this team. He's leading the team in rebounds at an absurd for a guard, eight, eight and a half rebounds a game. Where do you think he fits into this mix? I kind of had him pegged as a stretch four off the bench early in the season, but I mean, the dude is producing right now, at least on the offensive end. And you have one explosion from Baycott and some consistency from Garrison Brooks. But you'd have to say right now he has been the second highest upside scorer on the team. Yeah, he's been really impressive. And I think that coming into it, most people thought Keeling would be the scorer and Pierce would. He would be a nice little addition and you take what you can get from him. Uh, it's kind of been Absolutely. flipped, uh, and, Pierce has, and Pierce has been really impressive. Uh, and I think you hit it uh, on the head that uh, stretch four is probably going to be his most productive position because that is where his athleticism will create mismatches, and that is where on the defensive end it will create mismatches as well. He's used to banging in the post. He's used to playing the four. He'll, he'll feel comfortable having to defend those, those players. If you put him out on the three – uh, there are going to be fewer teams where that's an, uh, that's an acceptable mismatch uh, just because of the athleticism uh, and, the, yeah. and the experience that he has. So uh, for me, I think stretch forward is what you're seeing, and that, put, that, that allows Garrison Brooks to play more time at the five, uh, and he's comfortable there, and Baycott is going to need uh, that, that rest, and I think you're looking at Brooks playing 32, 33 minutes a game at this point just because they don't have another center to back up Baycott. And so that's why I think you're going to see more, more Pierce at the stretch forward than anywhere else. Yeah, and call me crazy, but I think 
the highest and best use for this team at this point is kind of what we projected uh, you and I in the preseason where Leaky Black becomes kind of the utility man off the bench with uh, Pierce being more than 3-4, Leaky being the 1-2-3. Given four games and given the fact that we haven't seen B-Rob yet, um, is that something that you still consider the optimal lineup or has your opinion changed just based on and I'm, I'm calling this short, just small sample size on Christian Keeling, um, shooting 21% from three. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt at this point. Are you still there, or are we looking at kind of a uh, a shift here? Um, I'm still willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I think that uh, if this tournament this if this tournament continues the trends of his previous games, uh, I think that you see the I think you see the switch, um, and yeah. I think because. With all the competition in this tournament, this is going to really let you know he's had four games to get settled. It's now time for him to either hold that starting spot or he just finds a place. To, he finds a way to contribute off the bench and, and give us what he can uh, as he continues to, to to learn a little bit. Um, but I do agree with you that you know I think the surprising thing to me though is that Black is averaging over 30 minutes a game, and part of that's Brandon Robinson being out, but that's also a lot of time for him, and that has really really been surprising to me. Uh, I'm interested to see. Who loses time when Robinson comes back as well? It's probably going to be Playtech and Black uh, more than anything. Uh, but I can see Black taking taking a dip there uh, if if Robinson can bring the additional scoring. Well, I mean, you, th- this is the uh, every podcast disclaimer that this is going to get us fired. But Andrew Playtech in twenty three and a half minutes a game has been excellent. Um, he he has not shot well from three, but he's been. I mean, I hate to say this, a steadying presence on the court. And, you know, if if the minutes are going to come from anywhere, you're absolutely right. They're going to come from Black and they're going to come from Playtech. And, I mean, that that's 52 minutes a game that you've got to account for right there. So I see B-Rob getting about 18 to 20 against Alabama, but I see him working his way up to 30 pretty easily by the end of this weekend. Um, UNC plays Alabama on Wednesday. What do you have about the Crimson Tide? Because that's that's the matchup we know about right now. And otherwise, we're just going to speculate wildly about the other uh, seven teams that they could play. <laughs> um, look, they're a team in transition. Uh, they have a new coach, a phenomenal coach. He likes to run, but they're two and two. Uh, they lost to Penn, as in Pennsylvania, from the Ivy League, who's a solid Ivy League team, but it's an Ivy League team. Sure. You're a P5, you know, Um they they took care of Florida Atlantic. And then they lost uh, to Rhode Island, and and then they beat Furman. So they haven't really been tested yet. Um, they have, they have a guy I believe his name is Kyra Lewis who could be could be really really good. Uh, he was going to transfer at one point and, ends up, and then ends up coming back. Um, their style of play is either I, I think their style of play is going to lead to either a North Carolina blowout or it's going to lead to a really tight Crimson Tide win. Um, because they like to run, and North Carolina's system is built on running, but this team has not shown the ability to run yet. Um, and uh, they they average right now, according to Ken Palm, 79 possessions per game, and I don't think North Carolina has topped 73 possessions. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how much energy is spent in the first game of this tournament. Uh, and Alabama will be looking, will be gunning hard for a key win right out of the gate. Yeah, this feels to me like um, I think it was the final of the Maui Invitational back in 04 where NC just put up 110 points on Iowa where, yeah. you know, it's it, it's a power five team. It's it's a team that, you know, could very well work its way back into like a 
10 or 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, I don't think Alabama's that talented this year. But if they're going to run with Carolina, they're going to pay the price for running with Carolina. I think this is where you see a Roy Williams UNC team for the first time this year, just quite frankly. And if I'm wrong, I mean, I, we can come back and eat crow on, on an emergency podcast tomorrow <laughs> night. But um, no, I, I think this is a situation where UNC scores easily over 90, holds Alabama under 70, and it's going to be it's going to be the first uh, UNC game that's been fun to watch in the first five games this year. Uh, no, I'm, and, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, mean, I, I kind of agree with you, too. And, and as we talk through it, you know, Cole Anthony had that explosion against the against Notre Dame in opening game. In the past three games, he's been kind of hot and cold, kind of streaky. He's gotten his, but he's also really worked on on managing the team and running the team and as evidenced by his almost triple-double last game. Uh, I'm curious to see how he responds to, quote-unquote, the, the bright lights uh, and, the higher, and, and the higher notoriety um, of the competition. Because uh, battle for battle for Atlantis has really turned into probably the second most um, appealing tournament over the over the past five or six years, which is crazy because I think it's actually played literally like in a ballroom, like it's insane, like where some of these places, some, some of these games are played. Man, um, I, I was but, I was gonna make I was gonna make a joke about the bright lights because it is literally the dimmest lights in college basketball. It is played in the ballroom <laughs> of the casino in Atlantis. It, it yeah, really like it's this played in the ballroom in a casino. So you you were correct. Uh, bright lights and also dimmest lights. But I'm interested to see how Cole steps up to that and, and see and to see which Cole Anthony we get. Do we get the one who hunts twenty four, twenty five shots, or do we get the one who is, is hitting everything and so you're okay with him doing whatever he wants to on that court because it's gonna it's gonna lead Carolina to a win. It'll it'll be interesting. Yeah, and, and I think the Cole Anthony that we saw hunting shots against Notre Dame was a guy who looked to carry his team to a victory. And, you know, I'm going to be honest. I have not watched, I have not broken down film on UNC's wins over UNCW, what Gardner Webb and Elon. Um, But if you look ahead to Thursday and I'm looking ahead to Thursday at this point, because I do think it's UNC win on Wednesday, you're looking at Michigan and Iowa state. Um, Michigan already has a common opponent. They beat Elon by 20 Carolina only beat Elon by 14 or yeah, by 14. Um, what have you seen out of John Beeline's team? John Beeline, well, now the coach hit uh, in, in with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, what have you seen out of Michigan? Holy shit, man. I really need to uh, set my <laughs> basketball game up at this point because, man, you know what? Th- this is full disclaimer on this podcast. I am not in full basketball mode again until bas- until football season is over. Uh, we're looking at Iowa State. They're 3-1 and one with wins over Missouri Valley State, Northern Illinois, and Southern Miss. We are looking at a Michigan team with a 4-0 record. They beat Appalachian State in basketball, which they can't do in football. They beat Creighton by 10. They beat Elon by 20. And they beat what is H? They beat somebody called HB 111-68. Um, who would you rather see on Thanksgiving Day? Hmm, I would rather see Iowa State, um, but I mean both of them is still so early. Iowa State's three and one, Michigan's four and zero, but Michigan has has typically has had more talent in that program. So even though they have a new coach, um, they still have the talent that's there, uh, largely left over from Beeline, um, uh, and they were just in they were in the title game. What was it two years ago? Uh, yep. So. Uh, I would rather play Iowa State. I'm also tired of playing Michigan after playing in the past two years, uh, and I don't really want to deal with the storylines of Juwan Howard playing North Carolina and you know all 
of that that comes with it. Um, but, you know, Iowa State also, I mean, look, they lost to Oregon State by six on the road, uh, but they beat no, no, uh, Northern Illinois, Southern Miss, and Mississippi Valley State. So they haven't really been super tested. Uh, and, you know, they're a slow-paced team, uh, I think 70-ish possessions per game. Um, and I just rather, you know, I, I like Big 12 teams. I think they fit North Carolina a little bit better. Um, I just – Michigan scares me just enough coming off of what will probably be a game where you're, where you're going to run your starters ragged against Alabama unless they can get a lead. You're going the second day, second straight game. Our, our team is already a little bit under strength. Um, I would rather play Iowa State than Michigan. And, again, I, I think this is where B-Rop's return just plays huge because it – shifts everybody down a notch. You get Playtag playing 15 minutes as opposed to 25 minutes. You get Justin Pierce playing a little bit more four. You get Baycott off the court a little bit more. You get Brooks playing more at the five. I'm not really worried about the first two days of this tournament. Um, I think I agree with you that the Big Ten style always gives UNC a little bit more fits, especially early in the schedule. And I mean, let, let's be honest here. UNC has not looked good Really, I mean, they haven't looked like a top five, you know, final four contender in the first four games here. But uh, agree, yeah. So, so Michigan's the type of game that could kind of drag us into the mud, and it would be one of those games that, you know, you you look back in February and you shake your head at it, but it could be one of those situations where, you know, we look back and we say, well, why did we lose that game? Um, I don't think the same is true with Iowa State, but we're going to find about we're going to find out about this by two o'clock today. So, you know, um, I don't know. It's really hard to project these teams because at the end of the day, we could talk about any of the other seven teams that we could play. I doubt we play Southern Miss because Gonzaga should probably beat them in the first game. Carolina should probably win against uh, Alabama. But you're looking at Gonzaga, Seton Hall, and Oregon, uh, three teams who are, by all means, top 15 teams in the country. And either in the finals of this tournament or in the third place game, the North Carolina Tar Heels are going to play a top 15 team. So Gonzaga, Seton Hall, and Oregon, uh, what kind of stands out to you really about any of those? Um. I would say that Gonzaga and Oregon probably have the two best coaches after Roy, Roy Williams. Um, I, but I don't want to play Gonzaga again because we're going to beat them again in December. I would prefer not to play them twice. Yeah. I would really like to play. Uh, I would really like to play Seton Hall or Oregon. Uh, I think Seton Hall, and I'm probably going to eat crow on this. I think they're really a, a, a one horse team with Miles Powell. I mean, without him, I don't know what else they have. But they've slowly been trending up the past couple of years. Each each year, they've been a little bit better. Um, the past three years or so. Uh, but Oregon, man, look, Dana Altman, he's a great coach. Uh, last time we know that Kennedy Meeks uh, sealed the deal by boxing out Jordan Bell and leading him to the you know, national championship game. But I like Oregon. Uh, they were probably the only good thing other than Washington to come out of the Pac-10 Pac last year, or Pac-12. Is it Pac-12 or Pac-10? It, I, I Pac can't keep up with all the numbers. Thank you. It's Pac-12. Um, big 12 with 10 was, teams, big, uh, big 10 with 14. It, it all gets very yeah, confusing. all that. Um, but look, I think he's a good coach. In Oregon, they they, they, they return a lot of players. I think they got Peyton Pritchard back as well as a senior. I think yeah. that they could be the dark horse for this for this tournament, um, strictly based on uh, based on Altman and Pritchard. Uh, I think they're a dangerous team. 
Uh, now watch them go and lose in the first game to Seton Hall and everything is messed up. But uh, Oregon is the team that, that would scare me more than anyone else uh, in this uh, in this tournament. Yeah, and Oregon went ahead and took down Memphis with uh, James Wiseman not yet suspended. Uh, they are – yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're the scariest team to me on the bottom side of that bracket. You wonder – I mean – I don't really know how the time difference is going to affect them and Gonzaga after three games, but you look at Gonzaga and Oregon. I mean, you're taking down the two best teams in the uh, in the Pacific Northwest, right there. Or, well, really in the Pacific time zone. So uh, it, I hope UNC gets to play one of them, e- even though UNC goes to Gonzaga, like you said, in about two weeks. Um, yeah, ideally I'm, for me, can... well, I'll say, and here's the thing too. I mean. Like I'm all like I love Gonzaga, I love the program, I love Mark Few, uh, but I'm always wary whenever they play top conference competition or Power Five or Power Six or whatever is in basketball competition um, because they just don't play that regularly. And uh, it's all, I think it's I think it's usually a valid criticism uh, or skepticism when it comes to that program. And they have enough big wins, and I get that, but especially early in the year. Um, on a neutral court where the refereeing can be weird and you're playing three games in a row and it's time zones. You know, I wonder how a team that's not used to that kind of competition uh, responds. Uh, and so I think that's part of the other reason that I'm kind of leaning towards Oregon from the bottom side of the bracket. See, and I think the fact that they get Southern Miss is a huge advantage for them because that that's the only non P five or, I mean, if we include Seton hall in the, uh, I guess the Atlantic. Yeah. Team. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the only really non-power conference that's being represented in this tournament. I think uh, Gonzaga gets a big boost just by being able to, you know, maybe slow it down in the first game and then kind of ramp up against Seton Hall or Oregon in game two. So I get – if you're uh, – if I'm putting money on this tournament, I'm I'm putting money on Gonzaga to win this just strictly on the fact that they have the easiest route into the second round of it. Yeah, I think that would be fair. Uh, Southern Miss point is, is a is a valid point. Um, you know, now watch them go lose in the first round. But no, I think I think if you right. you're putting yeah, money oh, down, totally. I think you know, what I mean, like that's what that's how these <laughs> things work. Um, but I think that's fair. I mean, them getting Southern Miss first, and Southern Miss has had a rough couple of years. They were on probation uh, for a while. I think they had some scholarships reduced uh, due to the actions of uh, their uh, a former coach. Uh, so uh, I think you're I think you're right on right on track with that. So, coming out of this tournament, I mean, you know, win, lose, or draw, what, what's the best case for uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels? What do you need to see over the next uh, three days that is going to give you confidence going forward as Carolina gets the schedule to lighten up a little bit? They do have Ohio State. They do have Gonzaga. They do have a couple more big games coming up in December. But, I mean, what what do you need to see from the Tar Heels? Because I don't really think we've answered any questions besides is Cole Anthony legit yet? <laughs> yeah, uh, go two and one. Win your first two games, and then whatever happens on the third, live with it, get out of there healthy, and then regroup. Um, I don't put a ton of stock into teams who who lose at championship games in these. I, I'm always looking on who when you're fresh. How well do you do in your first in your first two games? Uh, because at this point, no one has the endurance or the um, or the wherewithal, the knowledge of their teams on how to really get through uh, three days early. And I mean, we regularly see teams who they blow through an early season tournament and then they're not heard from again after after December. So 
I don't care about winning the whole thing, uh, but get, get to two and one, and I think you can feel pretty good about yourself uh, as a program leading into some into some big December matchups. I mean, Jake, I didn't have you on here to subtweet Duke basketball, but play through some early November tournaments, and then you do what now? I'm sorry, <laughs> what, I would I would never do that. What are you talking about? I am no. I'm up and up, and would never subtweet Duke basketball and. In their in their October championships for recruiting, so I don't I don't quite know where we're going with that. I I you know it is what it is, right? I mean, clearly it is what it is, and uh, you know for, <laughs> for 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 everybody out there, you know what the North Carolina Tar Heels need to do is establish a secondary scorer besides Cole Anthony. Um, figure yeah. out what the big man rotation is going to be. See if Armando, Armando Baycott can actually give you 25 minutes of production a game. Um, you know, probably not similar to what he gave you against Econ tw- or Elon. Uh, 20 and 12 is probably above his weight a little bit. But if you can get that from Baycott every once in a while, you can get uh, Garrison Brooks to play some minutes at the five. You can get Pierce to slide down to the four. I mean, this could be a great team. Um I, I think it can be you, – you need – I'll say this. I think Brooks has to average 10 and 8, 10, 9, 10 and 10. He has to be in that range to take some of that scoring pressure off down in the post and to help you yeah. get rebounds. Um, that, I mean, that is what he, – he's going to have to give that every single night. We can look at secondary scores all we want, but we need Brooks anchoring down low with consistent production um, and then let Baycott do what he can on any given night and or Pierce and that, that offset each other. Uh, but I think that if you can look for three straight games of production from Brooks, that's really what I would like to see from the post presence. And what I'm looking for is the trickle down effect uh, thereof. You know, if if Baycott's going to go down from 27 to 20 minutes a game, Brooks is going to remain around 30 to 32. Where are the rest of those minutes come from on the wing? Uh, that's kind of what I'm watching for over the next three days. And just to kind of see how this rotation fills out is. Probably the biggest question for me that has not been answered with with uh, B. Rob, with uh, Francis and Harris out, with uh, Sterling Manley questionable to return even this season. You know, the, the biggest thing for me is where do the rest of these minutes come from? Because Andrew Playtech is not playing 23 minutes a game on a competitive ACC team. So that, you know, I mean, if we put it in quite simple terms, that's what we're going to learn in the next three days. Um, would you disagree with that? Or, and if you do, and even if you do agree, just kind of with a trickle down effect, what, what are you looking for outside of uh, Brooks, who is somewhat of a known quantity to me outside of uh, Cole Anthony, who is, you know, we don't know the numbers quite yet, but seems to be somewhat of a known quantity. So I think to bring it all full circle, what I'm looking for yes. is Thank you. if we bring Brand, if we bring Brandon Robinson back into the fold, and we've already said that's going to either push Keeling or Black out, um, or have them lose some minutes, and it all trickles down. I would really like to see Leaky Black get some loose minutes back at the point guard position. That would solve your problem of having additional length on the perimeter. That would solve your problem of giving a giving Cole Anthony a little bit of a rest because I don't care what anyone says. Playing forty games and playing forty minutes a game over the course of the next six months is going to wear somebody down. And North Carolina has been at its best when it has a backup point guard who can run the team, 
who can be a change of pace and can give about 10 minutes a game. Uh, and that's what I would really like to see develop as, as Leaky Black grows into that role. Um, and we've heard about it. Roy has said he recruited Leaky to be a point guard uh, and all of that, but we've not really seen the assertiveness needed to run the team. And we have to remember that Leaky, by all accounts, is he's still kind of a freshman. Um, he missed yeah. 20 games last year. He was injured in the offseason. Um, and now you're asking him to play four different positions. That's a lot. And I'm on record of saying I think the expectations for him this year were a little bit too much. Um, and I would really like to see him settle into an actual role that is more defined so he has a little bit more comfort out there, uh, especially now that when Brandon Robbins comes back. And I would like to see that at the point guard position so we have some sort of safety net there on the night that Cole has to go out with an injury or he has foul trouble or he's just not feeling it. Um, that's what I, that's the trickle down effect I would like to see, uh, with, uh, with those minutes. Yeah. And to me, it, it, it comes down to, uh, Christian Keeling being able to take on that secondary scoring role. If you have Leaky at the point guard, can Cole or can, uh, Christian Keeling, you know, develop a way to score from the wing? Uh, he, he's a three levers, three level scorer, as Akil said, uh, on our preseason pod, you know, He's a guy who can attack the rim. He's a guy who can shoot from three. Can he find his rhythm? Because I think that's going to be the key, you know, this weekend. And then just going forward, if you give defenses something else to account for, that's where Leaky Black, Brandon Robinson, Andrew Playtech, that's where those guys can shine uh, just off the perimeter. And if you get something from Keeling, everything else kind of seems to fall into place for me. I think that's probably fair. Uh, I wouldn't argue that. Um, and I think that absolutely him getting off uh, and, and getting and, you know, and breaking through that barrier, I think absolutely is crucial. Um, and if, if that's your flavor going into this week and this into this weekend, um, I think that you're spot on with, with saying that's a critical piece to watch. Well, my man, that's what I'm going to be watching for. Uh, Jake. I was I was going to pause and see if for effect I could uh, dramatically affect anything that you had anything else that you had coming to starhillblogs.com but um this one's uh taking place it it is in an awkward recording place for me do you have anything else coming to starhillblogs.com that uh we can plug because it's a big week for us we got three basketball games we've got a football game that you and I are probably going to end up talking about sometime later this week yeah, so I have I, I will have the three things learned for after the Alabama game, uh, and I'll have the three things learned for after the state game, I believe. Um, and then we're still figuring out the schedule. I'll try to get some analysis. I'm, what I'm hoping is at some point next week we get some good film review stuff from this tournament, something to kind of grasp onto, uh, like we did for Garrison Brooks a couple of weeks ago. Man, um, the three things learned for the state game kind of makes me nervous because I hope we have three things that we can learn going into a bowl game and not into an offseason because at that point, that's where my film review takes over. Yes, and that's, that's when you get man, to, that's when you really pull your weight. Dude, I, I, I'm not ready to do that yet. Um, I have not really been able to consume what has been Carolina football yet this year, and I quite honestly need to go back and watch – all of our film to figure out what we've learned from the UNC football team this year. But uh, either you and I, I, I or like, you and somebody else is going to go ahead. No, see, like, I almost feel like, like you almost feel like you take a two month, just like two month hiatus and come back with fresh eyes, because I don't know if we could accurately describe 
what we have seen from week to week. Other Man, than Sam Howell is very good. You heard me take a deep breath. You heard me. You, you probably heard me burp if you're uh, listening to this and I haven't edited it very well. Um, but man, yeah, it's it's a whole lot to consume on the football side. On the basketball side, man, I have really enjoyed uh, some of the film breakdown that uh, we have already kind of broken into. But I think we're going to learn a lot more over the next three days than we've learned over the past three weeks. And it's it, it's exciting, but it makes me nervous going in because I think you're right. UNC going two and one this weekend would be a win. But I'd like to win the first two and then just kind of figure it out from there. Yeah, first two, and then hope you get a good matchup in the final game. Uh, I think is uh, is is the best case scenario, uh, and then uh, you can't be wrong. I mean, if, if you beat two of Alabama, Iowa State, and Michigan, uh, two of those three, I don't think you can be disappointed. Those are two name programs. Uh, I think they are two programs that fans will walk away with saying, "Hey, all right, solid. It's better than Elon." Uh, and then you you know you take what you can get uh, in, in the final game, and no one's going to be disappointed with that. I mean, it's not like we're losing to. Evansville at home or anything. So uh, you take that and, and roll. I mean, we'll come back on Sunday when we lose 63 to 46 to, to Seton Hall, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. But I don't think we're actually going to get there. Um, I like to make jokes on the air. If y'all haven't listened to this podcast before, it's everybody's first, it's somebody's first podcast every time you uh, hear it. So, you know, Maybe take everything I say with a grain of salt, but my God, um, this is going to be a gauntlet for the UNC basketball team. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so everybody enjoy it. Take it as what it is, which is a November tournament. Roy Williams likes to develop his teams in November and December, and we're going to come back in February, and we're going to laugh about this. Am I wrong, Jake? No, we are going to laugh about this all all February and March long, and anybody with hot takes, please let us have them on Twitter, and we will save them and we will save the receipts, uh, and we will bring them back uh, in about four months. I mean, we, we will keep receipts from Wednesday night, and we will talk about them on Sunday. Uh, Jake, man, it, it's been a damn pleasure, and we're, we're going to do it again sometime uh, late this weekend, early next week, as we round into December, because December brings us Ohio State. It brings us Virginia. It brings us a game in Spokane, Washington against Gonzaga, so – we might get a preview of the UNC Gonzaga game, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So, you know what, guys? Buckle up. It's going to be a little bit of an adventure from here, but uh, North Carolina Tar Heels are going to play three basketball games before I talk to y'all again. So, y'all enjoy it. Uh, we will be there on Twitter. Uh, Jake at the Realist RJL, myself at Chad underscore Floyd. Y'all go ahead and tell us how wrong we are over the course of the week. Until next time, keep it locked and go Heels.